0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast.
1: Show Show me 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 the meaning of being sick.
0: (laughs) My name is Jared, and I'm joined here by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Austin. Yo, what
1: up, everybody? And we got Helen.
2: Hey, everybody.
0: So today we're breaking down a movie that is quite prescient for the situation that we find ourselves in. Today we're talking about Contagion, the 2011 movie directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Winslet, Matt Damon, Jude Law, and Lawrence Fishburne, and Marion Cotillard. This movie has a crazy cast. <laughs> As always, we're going to go around and see what it was like the first time you saw this movie, what it was like revisiting it. And, you know, let's also throw in there, what is your life like right now in this current crisis that we're in Let's start with Helen, since, Helen, it was your idea to do this movie, and also tell us why you wanted to do this movie.
2: Yeah, so I, um, so first, first, my first reaction. So I've actually, the first time that I saw this movie was probably about six or seven weeks ago. Um, I didn't see it back in 2011, which was kind of surprising, because, you know, there's not very many good medical disaster films, in my opinion, but I do, like, I I like them. I kind of feel like my junk food, um, but uh, you know, so so back about what did I say? Six eight weeks ago, it it was like oh you know would be kind of crazy if this would happen. They they probably did a pretty good job depicting this, and you know read about how it was pretty scientifically accurate and that kind of thing. Then I rewatched it last night, and it was like holy crap, this is actually happening right now um, for the a lot of you know for the in in a you know maybe not the the entirety of of obviously the plot but of course um you know just kind of the situation that the characters find themselves in being in lockdown that's which is exactly what i will be at midnight here in san francisco so yeah um and i wanted to do this movie because i am i'm just kind of fascinated by by viruses and by you know kind of the, the their implications on society and i had had read a lot about this film and how it was from a scientific standpoint pretty well done, and from a public health standpoint pretty well done, and now being in the midst of this whole um, crisis, it seems that that was indeed correct. <laughs> so yeah.
0: What so what do you mean by at midnight you're on lockdown is San Francisco doing a lo- complete lockdown starting at midnight?
2: Yeah, dude. Every so basically um I, a specific instruction is like don't don't go out. So it seems what's what are they saying? Don't go don't go out unless you absolutely have to. Um are like pretty much all non-essential businesses are closed. Um really kind of a nightmare for people who are working obviously like in the restaurant industry and that kind of thing. It's like you know a lot of my friends are freelancers and creatives is same for you guys i'm sure and it's just um yeah so you know it was kind of like this was coming and now here we are um so nobody can we're supposed to be sheltered until further notice so
0: so if the virus wasn't happening would you be back in LA right now
2: yes i would okay. <laughs> um okay. i was and i was going to go this weekend and um i ultimately decided not to because i just felt bad traveling um just didn't want to didn't want to risk it didn't want to risk it for other people so yep here we are
0: yeah here we are uh austin what about you
1: so this is the first time that i had actually seen this movie and i'm not gonna lie when we first said contagion i got it confused with the movie outbreak i think which was the movie Mm -hmm. from the 90s is it dustin hoffman and i think it's renee russo is she in it too i can't remember i haven't seen that it's 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 about a, like a monkey virus. That yeah. Could, did you see that one, Helen? Do you know the one I'm talking about? I know
2: of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I've, I saw it a long time ago, but that was I wanted to rewatch it for this. But yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I totally <laughs> yeah. got confused when we said we were doing Contagion. I was like, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. I was like, I saw that when I was a kid, and for whatever reason, I just thought that it was called Contagion because it was about like a contagious virus or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this was the first time I'd actually ever seen the film, which is strange because I'm. You know, I'm not like a huge Soderbergh fan, but I like Soderbergh's films quite a bit. Um, so I'm surprised that this was the first time that I had actually sat down and watched the film. I love, love, love the first act. It The way that mm-hmm. they—by the way, spoilers all the time, right, for everybody? Um, but, like, the way that they show how much we are in constant contact with each other and how much— just the touching of a door, the touching of a subway handle, um, the touching of a glass, uh, you know, grazing somebody's fingers and then how that they wipe on their outfit and then they touch their face. And I heard someone saying something the other day or maybe it was in the film. Yeah, I, I saw something the other day. I've been watching so much shit that it's all kind of like blurring together now. But how we touch our face like a couple thousand times a day on average, I was like, holy shit. And then I'm like, been I've been checking myself. I'm like, do I like I'm like, I, I guess I do touch my face a few times a minute, you know? And I'm like, that adds up throughout the, the, the waking hours of my sleep, let alone who knows what I'm doing or when, when I'm awake. I mean, let, who knows what I'm doing when I'm sleeping if I'm rubbing my eyes and shit like that. And we have those receptors in our eyes that I'm like, Jesus. So I love that aspect of the film because it freaked me the fuck out and it just kind of made me realize how easy it is for transmission of these types of viruses, right? Um, and then from a filmic perspective, I didn't love the second and third act, I thought it was just a little bit, there were too many characters. They were trying to do too much. And I didn't get, I didn't care enough about the individual stories. I really would have rather hunkered down in just one or two of the stories. Um, so like the doctor, for example, played by uh, Marianne Cotillard, who's uh, gets kidnapped by the, the Chinese people to go to that village. I really, I, I felt like there was some really interesting territory to explore there. Cause she, clearly, she leaves at the end when she gets her vaccination, but she finds out it's a placebo. And she's like, well, fuck this shit. And I think the indication is she's going to go back to go help with the kids in the village because she felt like she's had some sort of attachment with them. And I would have rather spent some more time like with that kind of thing. But what I did, I guess, appreciate, even though I don't think it was fully successful, is that you got to see as wide of an of the impact as possible in an hour and a half or hour and 40 minute film, which was handled well. But I just don't think it was perfect, you know, so like seven out of ten. Maybe 7.5 out of 10, I guess, is what I get. I liked the film. I loved parts of it, and I appreciated the ambition. And, of course, the scientific accuracy and things like that was crazy. It was. It felt very prescient. I felt like, holy shit, like, we could have just watched this film and then understood, like, where things would have been and, and what's going on behind the scenes with the CDC and shit like that. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, from a filmic perspective, cinematic perspective, like, not love, I'll, even though I do love parts of it. That's what I'll say. Oh, and where am I right now? I'm I'm sick in Sydney with flu-like symptoms in isolation, and I have been for the last four days or five days, and I was told not to come into the hospital or the doctors to get tested because I'm healthy and it's only mildly affecting me right now. Do I have it? We don't know because I don't have, like, a test or anything at home, but I have the symptoms um, even though it's not affecting me horribly. But I slept for three days, and I've just been drinking water and isolating myself, and I feel okay. So that's where I am now.
0: Well, thank you for making it for the podcast. But you don't, you seem you don't seem to have a cough.
1: I, I actually, Helen, before we started recording, uh, I did, I did have a cough, and she's like, "Oh, you are sick." I um, when I woke up before we started recording, I coughed my freaking brains out to try to get all the phlegm out. It's a, it's been a wet cough. I haven't had a dry cough, so um, it's. I woke up with just a shitload of phlegm and shit like that. But no, I do. I've just been sitting here secretly in the microphone doing one of these like quiet <clears throat> things. But wow, even it's softer. Very...
0: Well, I mean, if, but if, if ever, qu- even quieter ever to try to mask was appropriate. it. <laughs> if ever coughing was appropriate, it's for this movie because the first thing we even hear, we don't, it's just yeah. coughing on black is the first thing yeah. that we witness in this Very film.
1: ominous, right? Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I also saw this film for the first time recently. I was aware of it because this movie initially came out when there was a scare about the avian bird flu, right? Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah 2000, it 2012 it or something?
2: 2011. Or was yeah. it SARS? Yeah. No, it was bird flu. I'm trying to
0: remember. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think at the time I was like, oh man, I just don't need to be scared about something like that, so I decided not to see it, but I saw it. I watched it with my dad who uh, was, he just turned to me and said, make sure your mother never sees this. <laughs> she's going to freak out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I mostly agree with Austin. I like the movie. I probably would give it like a 6 or 7 out of 10. I really like some of the ways that the camera follows the interactions and the things that are touched yeah. and how the camera lingers past the point you would normally linger in a scene just so that it makes you focus on the thing that has been interacted with and makes it that that's like the big bad of the movie is the uh, the pathogen, so to say. Um, and so the cast is great. I think Lawrence Fishburne is actually quite good in this movie mm. and um, which is great because I feel like he's usually just playing Morpheus and <laughs> is kind of I don't know. I've been pretty critical of him in, in his post-Morpheus career because he seems to be phoning it in a lot. But I think he's actually quite good in this one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really don't have a ton to say about the movie other than it was effectively scary. Mm. And But I will say that I'll get to this after the recap. I'm a little bit surprised that it's getting all this love for scientific accuracy. And I'm not a scientist. I don't know much about science. But there were some things that were egregiously wrong In the movie that I want to get your guys' thoughts on, but we're going to wait until after the recap for that. Cool. So let's go into the recap. After a business trip to Hong Kong, Beth Emhoff and her young son unexpectedly die of a mysterious virus, leaving her husband Mitch and his daughter Jory alone in Minneapolis, where Mitch becomes paranoid about anyone coming into contact with Jory, especially a young gentleman caller named Andrew. At the CDC, Dr. Ellis Cheever sends Dr. Aaron Mears to Minneapolis to investigate, while viral blogger Alan Krumweed might be getting that wrong, shops around a video of someone dying of the virus to the local papers, but instead decides to spread it to his own audience. Back at the CDC, Dr. Ali Hextel determines that the virus comes from a mix of pig and bat. Within days, tens of thousands of people have been infected, and by the time a San Francisco doctor is able to grow the virus for testing, it's up to 8 million, including Dr. Mears, who dies soon after. In Hong Kong, epidemiologist Dr. Leonora Orantes traces the original case back to Beth, after which she is kidnapped and held ransom at a Hong Kong village in exchange for early treatment to vaccine when it's created. Allen, claiming to be sick, broadcasts himself taking a medication called forsythia, which supposedly cures him. Soon, society has turned to looting and plundering homes, pharmacies, grocery stores, and liquor stores. Eventually, Dr. Hextel decides to circumvent lengthy trials and test her vaccine on herself. It works, but it will still take mankind a long time to produce enough vaccines for everyone and thus have to administer via a lottery. Alan is arrested for profiteering off the false efficacy of forsythia, and Dr. Arantes is released after an exchange of vaccines. But once she's informed they're placebos, she rushes back to be with the villagers. Dr. Cheever gives a vaccine to a janitor's son, and after being vaccinated, Mitch puts on an impromptu prom for Jory and Andrew. In the end, 26 million people die, and we see the genesis of the disease. A fruit bat dropping some of its food in a pig pen, a pig eating it, and a butcher coming in contact with the pig, then taking a photo with Beth without washing his hands. End of movie. Wash your damn hands, people. Wash your hands multiple times a day, people. Social distancing, please. All right, before we go any further, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors over at Skillshare. Skillshare. So one of the values that we hold really dear here at Wisecrack is being a lifelong learner, and Skillshare shares that mission statement, so we're really happy to have them sponsoring us. If you're looking to explore new skills or get inspired or deepen your existing passions, Skillshare is an online learning community where you can explore and discover thousands of classes on a wide variety of topics like graphic design, productivity, creative writing, film and video, freelancing, and more. So if you're looking for a class to take, I recommend checking out iPhone filmmaking, creating cinematic video on your phone. So if you listen to our last podcast on the lighthouse, I gave a shout out to the movie Tangerine made back in 2015, because not only is this movie awesome, but it was shot entirely on an iPhone. So it's proof that if you have an iPhone, you can make a movie. Teachers Caleb and Niles will teach you all the nuances to make your iPhone videos good enough for the silver screen. They detail the equipment, apps, and workflow that is helpful for beginners and experienced cinematographers curious about shooting on an iPhone. And when you compare it to expensive in-person workshops or night classes, Skillshare is pretty affordable. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Right now, they're offering Show Me the Meaning listeners two free months. All you got to do is go to Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack for two free months of unlimited access to awesome classes. And now, back to the show. Okay, so the thing I wanted to bring up that I find strangely inaccurate is, did anybody notice that some of the population numbers that they cite are crazy wrong? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I did notice that. Actually, last night, the one for San Francisco, it's like, what was, like, uh, 3 million, 4 million or something? And, and I'm like, wait a second. That's not – are they talking about the whole Bay Area? Even then, is that right? Yeah, and so then you I don't just have lose that your one. trust in them entirely. <laughs>
0: well, I, I don't have that one written down, but they say that the Tokyo population is 36.6 million. That's nuts. It's closer to 9 million. And so – I don't know. And then so, but a couple of them are accurate. They say that the London population is 8.6 million. That's roughly accurate. Uh, they say that the Guangdong province in China is 96.1 million. That one's relatively accurate. That one's actually low. It's actually closer to 113 million. They say in Hong Kong, there's 7.1 million. That's also mostly accurate. But Chicago, Tokyo, Minneapolis, all of them are wrong by multiples. And it's weird that you read about this movie and you read about its. It's uh, new relevance, obviously, in the time of the coronavirus. But the one thing that you always hear is that the mission of the movie was to see what uh, to make a movie that would dramatize what it would be like if this actually happened. And yet it seems like they're trying to exacerbate and exaggerate it like a horror movie by making these population sizes that much denser. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on why do you think they did this?
1: Yeah, I didn't know the numbers were so skewed first. So I, I guess I just kind of yeah. accepted it. I, I mean, I mean, clearly, I think the reason would be to just, um, like you say, kind of exaggerate the effects to show, like, what happens when you have a densely populated group of people. How this is basically something out out of our control, right? Because that's what I got. Now, I got a real sense in the, especially the first act, that this is out of your control. Right. Which I think I think is an appropriate understanding of how viruses spread. This is there was some douchebag. I don't know if you saw him online. He had to be trolling, but I don't think so, because I read the rest of his account and the guy's crazy. But he's like he took a selfie of himself and he's like this big ripped kickboxer dude. And he's like, I hit the genetic lottery. He's like, coronavirus, come and get me. And I was like, homie, you don't (laughs) I was like you don't understand. I know. I was like, you don't understand how this shit works. Like, it doesn't matter how big you are. This this tiny little microscopic set of germs, like, if you're healthy, that's one thing, it might not affect you as much, but it might, like, I've heard stories about people in their 30s who are under the age of 40, who are now on ventilators, or who are now in comas and things like that from uh, this current Coronavirus, right. Um, And so like, it, it made me feel out of control, because these things are microscopic, they're small, they travel through the very basic functions of our breathing, of touching, of human society, of human interaction, which basically means that human society itself is a perfect breeding ground for this type of spread. So maybe when they're they're trying to dramatize this, they're trying to intentionally, like, make the problem seem more intense or uh, make the spread seem more likely and out of control, if that makes sense. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it has to be something like that,
2: right? Raising the stakes a little bit. I mean, when is this film set? That's something I didn't really think. I just assumed it was present day. I don't. I don't. That's that's got to be the case. I mean, otherwise, there's they didn't offer any explanation. Yeah, I don't think
0: they give a year, but it does seem like maybe it's this dystopic version of Earth where it's really overpopulated. Yeah, I wonder, because the screenwriter is getting a lot of press right now. He's getting a lot of interviews with the Los Angeles Times and with Vulture Magazine and all this stuff, and there's all these articles that are new about Contagion, but nobody has asked him about this that I've seen (laughs) (laughs) yet. Right,
2: no, I haven't Uh, seen it.
0: But more to Austin's point, I want to talk about some of the shots. Uh, This movie, some of the shots make it a germaphobe's nightmare. It's like a horror movie with germs. There's uh, the close-ups of people putting their hands on the public transpo rails, There's I love I love when the camera moves, and the only reason that it moves is to show the path of the pathogen. So uh, there's one point where the camera tilts down at a bowl of peanuts that Gwyneth Paltrow is eating right before it cuts away, and you know normally we would just cut away without that tilt, but this there's also a nice shot when Matt Damon is picking up his stepson from work, and as they're exiting the building, it's weird that the the shot is. Uh, From the perspective, it's roughly at the level of the little kid. And as they exit the building, the camera lingers on the door as after they exit. Usually in movies, you never see people actually exiting a room or exiting a door. And you certainly don't linger on the shot long enough to see the door come back and swing back. But there's a really nice part where the camera continues to linger and you see the door slide back and you see the handle The push handle where the kid had just touched the door and it's all those just small moments like that that make you really paranoid right now here in March 2020 about the kind of things that you come in contact with and I feel like if the movie is so effective now then it certainly has done its job.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love the sequence with, you know, where Dr. Sussman, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, obvious one and it wasn't, you know, it's not subtle by any means, but it's watching, you know, as people like sipping and touching and just the whole, and you can feel it. And, and his like realization that something has to be done because we are not going to keep our hands to ourselves. We're not going to keep our hands off of things. And, um, yeah, this was, yeah, that was well done. I think too.
1: It is clever that—I like how you describe it's a horror film with germs. It is. It is a horror film. I I, I got that same sense, and I was thinking about that. It is kind of clever that the things that are the most frightening and the most monstrous, in this particular film at least, are the things we can't see, right? And even though it has social repercussions that causes social strife, which is something to to fear and and be scared of, like the thing that's most frightening— is the disease because it had like what a fucking 25% death rate or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing that's most terrifying. And how do you stop that? There's no cure for it. It's out of control. It spreads without us seeing the only way to do it is to like, just not go outside. That's just, is seems inhuman. So you have to like become non-human so that you can stop the spread of this thing that is haunting us. It's almost like a ghost. But worse because it's scientific and material, you know, like like ghost films scare the shit out of me because I'm like, I can't I can't fight a fucking ghost. Like I can fight a monster and I, I might lose, but at least I have a fighting chance. You can't fight a ghost and you can't fight a germ except with the right tools. And if you don't have the tools to fight the fucking germs and that's like just fighting a ghost. And unless you're the Ghostbusters, you just can't do it. And so it scared the shit out of me.
0: Yeah. I will say there is one other thing that you can see that is kind of a a viral enemy in this movie. And that's, there's a a line that it's the mass hysteria and there's this, and with uh, Jude Law's character, there's that whole thing with like his persona, his Alex Jones like persona also going viral and him spreading this misinformation about forsythia. And there's a great line that Lawrence Fishburne's character says that kind of ties together the idea of the virality of the virus to the virality of misinformation and panic. He says, what we do know is that in order to become sick, you first need to come in contact with a sick person or something that they touched. In order to get scared, all you need to do is come in contact with a rumor or the television or the internet. What Mr. Crumweed is doing, I'm probably getting that name so wrong, is spreading, what Mr. Crumweed is spreading is far more dangerous than the disease. And I think this is something that we can all identify with right now as... I mean, really, it's hard to even say, you know, what's a rumor or how painful or how harmful, excuse me, the the television or the internet is being in getting people a little bit scared because it's just so hard to tell what's real. You know, uh, at what point, none of us knows how long this quarantine is going to go on for. Yeah. And so it's really hard to tell when, and I think- that's the scariest part about it is that you don't know when you're being unnecessarily scared we are the real brady Brady bros brady brothers from the tv show brady bunch i'm barry williams and i'm christopher knight i played greg and uh who are you again i played peter we've decided that we're going to do a podcast around
1: episodes of the brady bunch We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why the Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We are
0: the Real Brady Bros. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask Helen about this in terms of, like, the scientific stuff, because, Jared, you said that there was some scientific quibbles that you had. Like, so...
0: Oh, no, my only one was the population thing. I know nothing about
1: science. Okay, so, like... One of the things that comes from the uncertainty is that, like, we as the average population, not the people in the CDC, not the people in the medical profession, like, I can talk to my friends who are doctors, and I can ask them, but even they are like, we don't know. Like like, like I was saying earlier with my symptoms, I was told not to go out. I was told because I have mild symptoms. Yeah, I've got a cough, but it's a wet cough. Um, you know, I'm in my thirties, I'm healthy, I'm fit, even though I did just have lung surgery six months ago, but, um, I know, but my, but in terms of my respiratory health, it's hundred percent, I have no issues, no COPD, I'm not a smoker, anything like that. I'm not obese, I don't have high blood pressure. So for me, it was kind of like, Hey dude, just stay home, isolate yourself, you know, just try not to get anybody infected, blah, blah, blah. Like uh, you don't know. So that means that we don't even have the right numbers, So it's like, we don't really know who, because how many people have a tickle in their throat? How many people have no symptoms? How many children are infected that don't have symptoms? How many people are like Matt Damon's character in this film that exhibit no symptoms whatsoever? They're immune, they're fine, so they can just kind of go about and live their lives relatively normally so we just don't know we don't know who has what we don't know what symptoms are exhibited uh, we don't really know what the source is is it really like for like example like the corona this particular coronavirus covid19 does it actually trace back to the wet markets and whatnot in uh uh, in China or is it something else that has existed elsewhere that's kind of traveled the globe a little bit beforehand but we just didn't have it diagnosed before we just don't know so we get little bits of information from authorities and then of course we have incompetent leaders and things like that all around the globe that are contradicting each other some countries are doing one thing some countries are doing something completely different so it's like there's just we don't know what the fuck is going on and you have the media that is freaking out and then markets that are freaking out and then people are freaking out and buying all the toilet paper and shit like that so hell in like what do we do like how do we know anything like how do we know the science is real how do we know what's real about the science how do we know the numbers are real and is this film like kind of accurate in showing that we're kind of always that there's like this ambivalence there these people behind the scenes they're trying their fucking best but even they're kind of like struggling and they're doing the best they can i mean is that kind of how this shit works i don't know again confusion i don't know uncertainty yeah
2: (laughs) no exactly well Med, I did. You know, I was pre-med and didn't never got to medical school, so I'm like the like far from qualified to even like muse on this, really. But from what so the thing about viruses, from my understanding of kind of read about them as a hobby a little bit, is that. You know, they're, they've they evolved alongside us, and they evolved to, you know, be able to outsmart our immune systems so that they can dodge it and lay dormant. And you don't, this, you know, this kind of seems like it's a commonality among viruses. I'm sure somebody can um, correct me and, and bring up examples that, where that isn't the case. But I think that's, that's we don't really, they're, they're tricky, and they—that's why we don't. That's part of the reason that we don't know a lot about the way that they kind of work and the way they affect the immune systems, because it seems to work differently in different people. Um, with the exception of knowing who is more susceptible to certain things because they have underlying conditions that affect their immune system, so that they can't—you um, know—they uh, that they can't fight off um, various things. But yeah, especially with something like this where. Um, my understanding of this is that it's like, it's a, you know, a novel virus, right? So it's something that we, that the immune system, nobody is immune to this thing. So it is going to infect you if it does, you know, if you do contract it and that doesn't mean that you'll get sick or show symptoms, but what we don't know, at least to my understanding is how contagious people are. Maybe we do. And that's something that, um, I meant to look up before I got on this podcast today, but, um, yeah, there's just, they're, they're kind of enigmas, little bit and so we do the best we can to you know with like the brilliant people who work on this kind of thing um uh but yeah it's it's the nature of the beast itself that makes it such a challenge um so and then of course uh you have kind of um you know all of the other forces at play like you said incompetent governments and um you know a, a business that like a media business that really, in order to survive, needs for people to, you know, click and read and that kind of thing. And um, so that results in things spreading, you know, information, misinformation spreading, if, it, if, if it's not even on the intention of the, the writer or the, you know, the, the news source initially, to spread that misinformation. Um, it's the kind of duality of wanting to help people become informed and also needing those clicks to drive revenue, right? So um, there's a lot going on that makes it that makes it you know again already kind of a mystery. And then on top of that, um, you've got that extra layer of of all of these forces driving misinformation forward. And then yeah. also people who want to profit off of some right information exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, that part is the business, too. I I <laughs> so.
1: really liked the Jude Law character actually because I have over the past four days since i have just been uh in lockdown i have been reading and watching crazy conspiracy theories about like how this is like a bioweapon and all this shit and i got friends who are really into this who are like sending me these three hour long like why is it the conspiracy theorists can't make a 15 minute video why do they always have to be three hours long like i'm down i'll i'll entertain so passionate (laughs) (laughs) like i'll entertain i'll entertain it but I don't have I don't have nine hours to watch your three videos that you've released over the last four days or something like that. Come on, homie, just condense it for me, please. Um, but like I thought, that was really interesting that angle in this film because that is something that is um, at least in certain spheres of the internet kind of prevalent uh, with the current. Uh, kind of uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis that we're dealing with, right? That there are people that are saying that this is a bioweapon, that this was something that was designed in a lab, and that there are cures and people are hiding it because they just want to you know, make money with their buddies in the pharmaceutical industry in the back room to wait for the right cures so that they can make massive profits, which is exactly what Jude Law's character is basically accusing um, Lawrence Fishburne's character of, right, when he's in that, in that TV interview with them. So I thought that was really interesting because I guess that this is just one of those constant themes that there are people out there. And this isn't to absolve governments either of tinkering with bio-warfare. They absolutely have. A hundred percent. It is a fact they have done that. Um, the problem is is because of that uncertainty, when we are uncertain and we don't know and we have either misinformation or cross-information, you have voices that come in that will tell you this is what it is, right? And so Jude Law becomes that voice for the 12 million people or whatever, any you know, acts like he's a fucking messiah figure or whatever, handing out his flyers. And maybe it's just because he was just trying to make money and he makes a few million bucks by selling his little what's it called? fourthy whatever. Forsythia. Forsythia. Yeah. And that's like maybe the brain pills that you get sold uh, by Alex Jones or whatever it is that's like, you know, some new some nootropic that is supposed to enhance your brain. Which I've taken nootropics in the past, and they've been great, I I guess. Were they placebos? I have no fucking clue, but I enjoyed them uh, as well. Um, But, like, because of that uncertainty, you have people that can come in and fill those gaps. And I thought that storyline for me was really intriguing. And that, I think, is partly why the film ultimately was a little bit unsuccessful is because I didn't get enough of that. I didn't get, like—like, like it was great for me to entertain it and fill in a lot of the gaps of what that narrative or what that plot line might be. But I didn't get enough to, like, really sink my teeth into the Jude Law, the stakes of his character, the the stakes of what he was doing, like him being up against the government. All of a sudden, it's just like the guy's wearing a wire and he's arrested. And I'm like, cool, so you met this dude on a park bench twice and then now you're arrested. I'm like, yeah, but I, I didn't understand— Like, I didn't really understand that he was really that much of a threat. I didn't really understand that this forsythia thing was really potentially harming people by giving them a false sense of hope. I I mean, like, I kind of did, but not as much as I would have liked to be able to explore that. And I think that was kind of the weak point of the film, because I didn't get to, like, sink my teeth into any of these characters and these really interesting ideas about the uncertainty or the doctor who contracts it and then dies. Like... Like, it was bold to kill Gwyneth Paltrow and fucking Kate Winslet. Like, that's a bold <laughs> move, man. Like, within five minutes, Gwyneth Paltrow is dead. And then you're like, oh, okay, because Kate Winslet's going to be the lead. And then ten minutes later, she's dead. And you're like, what the fuck is going on, Soderbergh? Like, bold. But I didn't, I didn't really get to, like... I wish we could have just been able to kind of, like, get into the meat of those storylines just a little bit more, you know?
0: Yeah, the movie stretched pretty thin about all these storylines. But interestingly... The original poster tagline was "Nothing spreads like fear," almost as if it was going to focus more on the Jude Law subplot and yeah. all the hysteria that that he's that he's doing, but it didn't really.
1: Yeah, I mean, but 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 you do get the fear. I think. <sighs> At least it's like the intimation of the fear, right? Because people start robbing each other and potentially the neighbors get killed by those dudes that Matt Damon watches in the backyard. You know, you see the gun flashes go off. Mm-hmm. and So they're probably getting jacked. And then you have um, Fishburne's partner who she gets attacked by the people who want the drug. So there is a sense what's it's like when, when mass scarcity is induced from this type of pandemic – what that's going to lead to in terms of, like, modes of exchange, which are, ex- are exchange relations when you have shortages, is going to lead to panic because people are afraid, and that's going to lead to social chaos. So you kind of get it, but that's it. It's just you kind of get it. It's more about, like, in your imagination. How do you imagine it? And maybe because we're dealing with this pandemic now, it's more frightening for us, whereas I think if I would have watched this in 2011 or 12, I would have been like, yeah, okay, like, that's frightening. But now I'm kind of like, holy fuck. So maybe it's more like what I'm projecting because of my fears or my anxieties based on the current contemporary moment, you know?
0: It's it's funny you mentioned Alex Jones and uh, him selling whatever. Well, apparently in there was an article uh, in, that was interviewing the screenwriter of this film and the interviewer told the screenwriter that in fact, apparently Alex Jones is selling a toothpaste that is supposed to cure you of coronavirus
2: <laughs> indeed he is wow
0: you you, you heard that he too Just
2: order to stop doing as much yeah that was uh it's pretty fascinating and then there was another one i maybe we were reading um the same article jared but where are you know sort of our you know sends, uh, Scott Burns a a text to him about, you know, how elderberry sales are, which is very similar, apparently, to Scythia, I suppose, so it's like, hey, here's another homeopathic remedy that, you know, I don't know who's peddling elderberry, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, what is it, what was the quote that, um, that, that Jude Law's character said about, you know, somebody's always going to make profit off of these, you know, whether or not they are, where, no matter where they are, kind of in the, in the game where they get caught or whatever, there's always somebody who ends up winning like the sales of, of various cleaning products and, and, you know, uh, cold remedies went up after the Spanish flu and, you know, somebody's going to make their millions off of catastrophe. Mm. And that's the nature of it. Might as well join in. Um, and so it's, um, and that brings me to actually another Scott Burns quote that I, from another article that I just thought was, was really fascinating. He said this recently that, you know, viruses and and i viruses are tracer bullets through society and they illuminate a lot of the problems that we have mm. and this is mm. precisely that an example of that mm. right where yeah in this in the way society is structured it, i mean somebody's gonna somebody's gonna make a zillion bucks off of you know uh peddling elderberry like i said why does why not be that guy i mean it's gonna happen let's you know and that's that's sort of yeah let me see that here
1: There's a famous quote in uh, the field of economics that gets passed around. It's actually the title of a book by uh, an economist named Philip Murawski as well, but it's never let a good crisis go to waste. And... And in the economics field, it generally means like when you have, for example, the collapse of, of 2008 where you know tens of trillions of global wealth is destroyed, well, what that does is that creates opportunities for consolidation uh, of big corporations and also for the purchase of cheap assets so that you have a turn towards like quantitative easing, which then ends up helping financial institutions and tech institutions with stock uh, buybacks and things like that. So... Um, this idea, again, of of never letting a good crisis go to waste is something that uh, you can kind of see even in this, with with this idea of with Jude Law, right? Is that he's kind of like, fuck, man, we got this crisis, and someone's going to profit. Someone's going to do something. At least I'm giving people some kind of hope. Maybe. We don't really know. It could be a homeopathic cure. Like, I'm doing something, right? So it, it is kind of interesting to think about that there during these times of crisis is when we do see... Um, interesting changes and transformations of society, of economics, of politics. Like, it's going to be really curious to see where we end up at the outset, uh, on the other end of this whole uh, COVID-19 crisis. Like, states are already uh, rolling out stimulus plans, you know, Um, they're freezing rent, they're freezing uh, electric uh, bills and gas bills, utility bills. Um, some states are doing helicopter drops where, you know, the federal government is just, uh, giving people cash. So you have that in Australia, for example, you might get that in the United States. You might have to get that. Um, you have other packages that are being rolled out, you know, cutting payroll tax, uh, giving bigger tax breaks to small businesses, things like that. So the question is, is where, where do we end up on the other end of this? who's benefiting in these times of crisis, right? Like, who has the positions of power so that they're the ones that can consolidate further power, so that they can purchase those assets, so that they can make the money in the medical field, so that they can get themselves positioned so that they can profit on the other end. That's what's going to be really interesting, I think, about this. And that's one of the things that the film kinda, I think, spoke to. It didn't It didn't, like, intentionally, but for me, that's where my mind was. Obviously, I work in a political economy department. I write on finance and speculative uh, critical finance theory. So so, like, this is where my mind has all been thinking lately, and I'm like, oh, this is really interesting, especially considering what's going on with our own situation. But also, look at this, because this film is even more chaotic than anything we're experiencing at the moment, because the disease is obviously deadlier and more widespread. And so I'm like, oh, shit, like, is this our future? Like, is this – like, even if it's not this particular disease, are we, are we learning – from the, the, the effects of this disease so that we can have the pieces in place, the, the, the social safety nets in place, so that we can be prepared for something that is as deadly as Ebola or MERS that then uh, it, it exceeds the scale of even what this particular coronavirus is currently exhibiting. Then it's like, do we have the pieces in place to deal with it then? Like, are we going to learn? Or are we just going to allow some fucking corrupt asshole to get in again and impose some kind of, like, neo-fascism? It's like, yeah, everyone have, like, some sort of online digital ID, which is something they're trying to roll out now, right? The ID 2020 shit? Like, is that something that we want? More surveillance? More of our data uh, kind of collated and centralized into bureaucratic institutions? Is that good? Like, what do you do? And that's what's going to be really curious for me to see is how is this crisis not going to be put or let to just be wasteful? Right? How are they going to make this crisis not wasteful? That's what's curious.
0: Yeah, well, in the spirit
1: of this movie, you just spread some fear, at least in my mind. Yeah, a little bit in mine, too. But But no joke, we should be afraid. Not afraid in the sense that we don't go outside, but we should be afraid because we should recognize that people in power— like they are gonna they are gonna try to position themselves like this is just the way human beings are. like I am somebody who has a lot of optimism about humanity. like I like to see that people can come together and work in social cooperation and that when the the sick neighbor next door can't leave that you're like you call them and you offer like I will go buy you groceries. I like to think that that's how human beings can be. But I also know that human beings can also be like the motherfuckers in the masks that have the shotguns that go in and kill the neighbor so that they can rob them of their supplies or their money or whatever it is. I know that human beings can do both. Human beings can achieve great things and awful things. So we should be afraid, but then that means that we need to be vigilant so that we can create the futures that we want to see that can be more beneficial and more cooperative. Because human beings don't have an essential nature. We're malleable and we're plastic. And so we can we can craft ourselves and we can craft our communities and craft our societies. So yeah, be afraid, but also just be vigilant, you know?
0: Anything else you guys want to bring up about the movie before we head into the mailbag?
2: I think I'm good. I think that's all I had for this.
0: Okay, we got some great emails and uh, voicemails about the lighthouse. Helen, have you seen the lighthouse? (laughs) I
2: have not seen the lighthouse. Uh,
0: Oh well. Yeah. We might have to spoil some of it. That's okay.
2: Go ahead. I I I deserve it. Go ahead.
1: I'll be honest. It's one of those films that even if you spoil, I still think you can get rocked. Like it.
0: Yeah, the experience is still not spoiled. (laughs) No.
2: Awesome. (laughs) If
0: you want to send us a voicemail, it's 213-534-8807 or elf hut 7 We got one from Jason. Hey, guys. this is Jason. I'm calling in.